0: Section 60 of Jean Christophe, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jean Christophe, Volume 1, by Romain Roland. Translated by Gilbert Canaan. Revolt 3, Part 7. An October evening, a pale, watery sun. The drowsy country is sinking to sleep. Little village bells are slowly ringing in the silence of the fields. Columns of smoke rise slowly in the midst of the ploughed fields. A fine mist hovers in the distance. The white fogs are awaiting the coming of the night to rise. A dog with his nose to the ground was running in circles in a field of beet. Great flocks of crows whirled against the gray sky. Christophe went on dreaming, having no fixed object but yet instinctively he was walking in a definite direction. For several weeks his walks round the town had gravitated, whether he liked it or not, towards another village, where he was sure to meet a pretty girl who attracted him. It was only an attraction, but it was very vivid and rather disturbing. Christophe could hardly do without loving someone, and his heart was rarely left empty. It always had some lovely image for its idol. Generally, it did not matter whether the idol knew of his love. His need was to love. The fire must never be allowed to go out. There must never be darkness in his heart. The object of this new flame was the daughter of a peasant whom he had met, as Eliezer met Rebecca by a well. But she did not give him to drink. She threw water in his face. She was kneeling by the edge of a stream in a hollow in the bank between two willows, the roots of which made a sort of nest about her. She was washing linen vigorously, and her tongue was not less active than her arms. She was talking and laughing loudly with other girls of the village who were washing opposite her on the other side of the stream. Christophe was lying in the grass a few yards away, and with his chin resting in his hands he watched them. They were not put out by it. They went on chattering in a style which sometimes did not lack bluntness. He hardly listened. He heard only the sound of their merry voices— mingling with the noise of their washing-pots and with the distant lowing of the cows in the meadows. And he was dreaming, never taking his eyes off the beautiful washerwoman. A bright young face would make him glad for a whole day. It was not long before the girls made out which of them he was looking at, and they made caustic remarks to each other. The girl he preferred was not the least cutting in the observations she threw at him. As he did not budge, she got up, took a bundle of linen washed and wrung, and began to lay it out on the bushes near him so as to have an excuse for looking at him. As she passed him, she continued to splash him with her wet clothes, and she looked at him boldly and laughed. She was thin and strong. She had a fine chin, a little underhung, a short nose, arching eyebrows, deep-set blue eyes, bold, bright, and hard, a pretty mouth with thick lips— pouting a little like those of a Greek maid, a mass of fair hair turned up in a knot on her head and a full color. She carried her head very erect, tittered at every word she said and even when she said nothing and walked like a man swinging her sunburned arms. She went on laying out her linen while she looked at Christophe with a provoking smile, waiting for him to speak. Christophe stared at her too but he had no desire to talk to her. At last she burst out laughing to his face and turned back towards her companions. He stayed lying where he was until evening fell, and he saw her go with her bundle on her back and her bare arms crossed, her back bent under her load, still talking and laughing. He saw her again a few days later at the town market, among heaps of carrots and tomatoes and cucumbers and cabbages he lounged about watching the crowd of women selling who were standing in a line by their baskets like slaves for sale the police official went up to each of them with his satchel and roll of tickets receiving a piece of money and giving a paper the coffee-seller went from row to row with a basket full of little coffee-pots and an old nun, plump and jovial, went round the market with two large baskets on her arms, and without any sort of humility begged vegetables or talked of the good God. The women shouted. The old scales, with their green-painted pans, jingled and clanked with the noise of their chains. The big dogs, harnessed to the little carts, barked loudly, proud of their importance. In the midst of the rabble Christoph saw Rebecca. Her real name was Lorchen, Eleanor on her fair hair she had placed a large cabbage leaf green and white which made a dainty lace cap for her she was sitting on a basket by a heap of golden onions little pink turnips haricot beans and ruddy apples and she was munching her own apples one after another without trying to sell them she never stopped eating from time to time she would dry her chin and wipe it with her apron brush back her hair with her arm rub her cheek against her shoulder or her nose with the back of her hand or with her hands on her knees she would go on and on throwing a handful of shelled peas from one to the other and she would look to right and left idly and indifferently but she missed nothing of what was going on about her and without seeming to do so she marked every glance cast in her direction she saw christophe as she talked to her customers she had a way of raising her eyebrows and looking at her admirer over their heads She was as dignified and serious as a pope, but inwardly she was laughing at Christophe, and he deserved it. He stood there a few yards away, devouring her with his eyes. Then he went away without speaking to her. He had not the least desire to do so. He came back more than once to prowl round the market and the village where she lived. She would be about the yard of the farm. He would stop on the road to look at her. He did not admit that he came to see her, and, indeed, he did so almost unconsciously. When, as often happened, he was absorbed by the composition of some work, he would be rather like a somnambulist. While his conscious soul was following its musical ideas, the rest of him would be delivered up to the other unconscious soul, which is forever watching for the smallest distraction of the mind to take the freedom of the fields. He was often bewildered by the buzzing of his musical ideas when he was face to face with her, and he would go on dreaming as he watched her. He could not have said that he loved her. He did not even think of that. It gave him pleasure to see her, nothing more. He did not take stock of the desire which was always bringing him back to her. His insistence was remarked. The people at the farm joked about it, for they had discovered who Christophe was, but they left him in peace. For he was quite harmless. He looked silly enough in truth, but he never bothered about it. There was a holiday in the village. Little boys were crushing crackers between stones and shouting, God save the emperor! Kaiser hoch! A cow shut up in the barn and the men drinking at the inn were to be heard. Kites with long tails like comets dipped and swung in the air above the fields. The fowls were scratching frantically in the straw and the golden dung heap the wind blew out their feathers like the skirts of an old lady a pink pig was sleeping voluptuously on his side in the sun christophe made his way towards the red roof of the inn of the three kings above which floated a little flag strings of onions hung by the door and the windows were decorated with red and yellow flowers he went into the saloon filled with tobacco smoke where yellowing chromos hung on the walls and in the place of honor a colored portrait of the emperor king surrounded with a wreath of oak leaves people were dancing Christoph was sure his charmer would be there he sat in a corner of the room from which he could watch the movement of the dancers undisturbed but in spite of all this care to pass unnoticed lorchen spied him out in his corner while she waltzed indefatigably she threw quick glances at him over her partner's shoulder to make sure that he was still looking at her and it amused her to excite him she coquetted with the young men of the village laughing the while with her wide mouth she talked a great deal and said silly things and was not very different from the girls of the polite world who think they must laugh and move about and play to the gallery when anybody looks at them instead of keeping their foolishness to themselves but they are not so very foolish either for they know quite well that the gallery only looks at them and does not listen to what they say with his elbows on the table and his chin in his hands Christophe watched the girl's tricks with burning furious eyes his mind was free enough not to be taken in by her wiles but he was not enough himself not to be led on by them and he growled with rage and he laughed in silence and shrugged his shoulders in falling into the snare not only the girl was watching him lorchen's father also had his eyes on him thick-set and short bald-headed a big head with a short nose sunburned skull with a fringe of hair that had been fair, and hung in thick curls like Durard's St. John, clean-shaven, expressionless face, with a long pipe in the corner of his mouth, he was talking very deliberately to some other peasants while all the time he was watching Christophe's pantomime out of the corner of his eye, and he laughed softly. After a moment he coughed, and a malicious light shone in his little gray eyes, and he came and sat at Christophe's table. Christophe was annoyed and turned and scowled at him. He met the cunning look of the old man, who addressed Christophe familiarly without taking his pipe from his lips. Christophe knew him. He knew him for a common old man, but his weakness for his daughter made him indulgent towards the father and even gave him a queer pleasure in being with him. The old rascal saw that. After talking about rain and fine weather and some chaffing reference to the pretty girls in the room, and a remark on Christophe's not dancing, he concluded that Christophe was right not to put himself out, and that it was much better to sit at table with a mug in his hand. Without ceremony, he invited himself to have a drink. While he drank, the old man went on, talking deliberately, as always. He spoke about his affairs, the difficulty of gaining a livelihood, the bad weather, and high prices. Christophe hardly listened, and only replied with an occasional grunt. He was not interested— he was looking at Lorcan. Christophe wondered what had procured him the honor of the old man's company and confidences. At last he understood. When the old man had exhausted his complaints, he passed on to another chapter. He praised the quality of his produce, his vegetables, his fowls, his eggs, his milk, and suddenly he asked if Christophe could not procure him the custom of the palace. Christoph started. How the devil did he know? He knew him then?" "Oh, yes," said the old man, "everything is known." He did not add, "when you take the trouble to make enquiries." But Christophe added it for him. He took a wicked pleasure in telling him that although everything was known, he was no doubt unaware that he had just quarreled with the court, and that if he had ever been able to flatter himself on having some credit with the servants' quarters and butchers of the palace, which he doubted strongly, that credit at present was dead and buried the old man's lips twitched imperceptibly however he was not put out and after a moment he asked if christophe could not at least recommend him to such and such a family and he mentioned all those with whom christophe had had dealings for he had informed himself of them at the market and there was no danger of his forgetting any detail that might be useful to him Christophe would have been furious at such spying upon him, had he not rather wanted to laugh at the thought that the old man would be robbed in spite of all his cunning, for he had no doubt of the value of the recommendation he was asking, a recommendation more likely to make him lose his customers than to procure him fresh ones. So he let him empty all his bag of clumsy tricks, and answered neither yes nor no. But the peasant persisted and finally he came down to christophe and louisa whom he had kept for the end and expressed his keen desire to provide them with milk butter and cream he added that as christophe was a musician nothing was so good for the voice as a fresh egg swallowed raw morning and evening and he tried hard to make him let him provide him with these warm from the hen the idea of the old peasant taking him for a singer made christophe roar with laughter The peasant took advantage of that to order another bottle, and then, having got all he could out of Christophe for the time being, he went away without further ceremony. Night had fallen. The dancing had become more and more excited. Lorchen had ceased to pay any attention to Christophe. She was too busy turning the head of a young lout of the village, the son of a rich farmer, for whom all the girls were competing. Christophe was interested by the struggle. The young women smiled at each other and would have been only too pleased to scratch each other. Christophe forgot himself and prayed for the triumph of Lorchen. But when her triumph was won, he felt a little downcast. He was enraged by it. He did not love Lorchen. He did not want to be loved by her. It was natural that she should love anybody she liked. No doubt. But it was not pleasant to receive so little sympathy himself when he had so much need of giving and receiving. Here, as in the town, he was alone. All these people were only interested in him while they could make use of him and then laugh at him. He sighed, smiled as he looked at Lorkin, whom her joy and the discomfiture of her rivals had made ten times prettier than ever, and got ready to go. It was nearly nine. He had fully two miles to go to the town. He got up from the table when the door opened and a handful of soldiers burst in. Their entry dashed the gaiety of the place. The people began to whisper. A few couples stopped dancing to look uneasily at the new arrivals. The peasants standing near the door deliberately turned their backs on them and began to talk among themselves, but without seeming to do so they presently contrived to leave room for them to pass. For some time past, the whole neighborhood had been at loggerheads with the garrisons of the fortresses round it. The soldiers were bored to death and wreaked their vengeance on the peasants. They made coarse fun of them, maltreated them, and used the women as though they were in a conquered country. The week before, some of them full of wine had disturbed a feast at a neighboring village and had half killed a farmer. Christophe, who knew these things, shared the state of mind of the peasant and he sat down again and waited to see what would happen. The soldiers were not worried by the ill-will with which their entry was received, and went noisily and sat down at the full tables, jostling the people away from them to make room. It was the affair of a moment. Most of the people went away grumbling. An old man sitting at the end of a bench did not move quickly enough. They lifted the bench, and the old man toppled over amid roars of laughter. Christophe felt the blood rushing to his head— He got up indignantly, but as he was on the point of interfering he saw the old man painfully pick himself up and, instead of complaining, humbly crave pardon. Two of the soldiers came to Christophe's table. He watched them come and clenched his fists, but he did not have to defend himself. They were two tall, strong, good-humoured louts who had followed sheepishly one or two daredevils and were trying to imitate them. They were intimidated by Christophe's defiant manner, and when he said curtly, "'This place is taken,' they hastily begged his pardon and withdrew to their end of the bench so as not to disturb him. There had been a masterful inflection in his voice. Their natural servility came to the fore. They saw that Christophe was not a peasant. Christophe was a little mollified by their submission, and was able to watch things more coolly. It was not difficult to see that the gang were led by a non-commissioned officer, a little bulldog of a man with hard eyes, with a rascally, hypocritical, and wicked face. He was one of the heroes of the affray of the Sunday before. He was sitting at the table next to Christophe. He was drunk already and stared at the people and threw insulting sarcasms at them, which they pretended not to hear. He attacked especially the couple's dancing, describing their physical advantages or defects with a coarseness of expression which made his companions laugh. The girls blushed, and tears came to their eyes. The young men ground their teeth and raged in silence. Their tormentor's eyes wandered slowly round the room, sparing nobody. Christophe saw them moving towards himself. He seized his mug and clenched his fist on the table and waited, determined to throw the liquor at his head on the first insult. He said to himself, I am mad. It would be better to go away. They will slip me up. And then if I escape, they will put me in prison. The game is not worth the candle. I'd better go before he provokes me. But his pride would not let him. He would not seem to be running away from such brutes as these. The officer's cunning, brutal stare was fixed on him. Christophe stiffened and glared at him angrily. The officer looked at him for a moment. Christophe's face irritated him. He nudged his neighbor and pointed out the young man with a snigger, and he opened his lips to insult him. Christophe gathered himself together and was just about to fling his mug at him. Once more chance saved him. Just as the drunken man was about to speak, an awkward couple of dancers bumped into him and made him drop his glass. He turned furiously and let loose a flood of insults. His attention was distracted. He forgot Christophe. Christophe waited for a few minutes longer. Then, seeing that his enemy had no thought of going on with his remarks, he got up, slowly took his hat and walked leisurely towards the door. He did not take his eyes off the bench where the other was sitting, just to let him feel that he was not giving in to him. But the officer had forgotten him altogether. No one took any notice of him. He was just turning the handle of the door. In a few seconds he would have been outside. But it was ordered that he should not leave so soon. An angry murmur rose at the end of the room, When the soldiers had drunk they had decided to dance, and as all the girls had their cavaliers they drove away their partners, who submitted to it. But Lorchen was not going to put up with that. It was not for nothing that she had her bold eyes and her firm chin which so charmed Christophe. She was waltzing like a mad thing when the officer, who had fixed his choice upon her, came and pulled her partner away from her. She stamped with her foot, screamed, and pushed the soldier away, declaring that she would never dance with such a boor. He pursued her. He dispersed with his fists the people behind whom she was trying to hide. At last she took refuge behind a table, and then, protected from him for a moment, she took breath to scream abuse at him she saw that all her resistance would be useless and she stamped with rage and groped for the most violent words to fling at him and compared his face to that of various animals of the farmyard he leaned towards her over the table smiled wickedly and his eyes glittered with rage suddenly he pounced and jumped over the table he caught hold of her she struggled with feet and fists like the cowwoman she was he was not too steady on his legs and almost lost his balance in his fury he flung her against the wall and slapped her face. He had no time to do it again. Someone had jumped on his back and was cuffing him and kicking him back into the crowd. It was Christophe who had flung himself on him, overturning tables and people without stopping to think of what he was doing. Mad with rage the officer turned and drew his sabre. Before he could make use of it, Christophe felled him with a stool. The whole thing had been so sudden that none of the spectators had time to think of interfering. The other soldiers ran to Christophe, drawing their sabres. The peasants flung themselves at them. The uproar became general. Mugs flew across the room. The tables were overturned. The peasants woke up. They had old scores to pay off. The men rolled about on the ground and bit each other savagely. Lorchen's partner, a stolid farmhand, had caught hold of the head of the soldier who had just insulted him and was banging it furiously against the wall. Lorchen, armed with a cudgel, was striking out blindly. The other girls ran away screaming, except for a few wantons who joined in heartily. One of them, a fat little fair girl, seeing a gigantic soldier, the same who had sat at Christophe's table, crushing in the chest of his prostrate adversary with his boot, ran to the fire came back dragged the brute's head backwards and flung a handful of burning ashes into his eyes the man bellowed the girl gloated abused the disarmed enemy whom the peasants now thwacked at their ease at last the soldiers finding themselves on the losing side rushed away leaving two of their number on the floor the fight went on in the village street they burst into the houses crying murder and trying to smash everything the peasants followed them with forks and set their savage dogs on them A third soldier fell, with his belly cleft by a fork. The others had to fly, and were hunted out of the village, and from a distance they shouted as they ran across the fields that they would fetch their comrades and come back immediately. The peasants, left masters of the field, returned to the inn. They were exultant. It was a revenge for all the outrages they had suffered for so long. They had as yet no thought of the consequences of the affray. They all talked at once and boasted of their prowess. They fraternized with Christophe, who was delighted to feel in touch with them. Larkin came and took his hand and held it for a moment in her rough paw while she giggled at him. She did not think him ridiculous for the moment. End of section sixty.